my love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Brilliant. Um, good morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to see and uh, to be thinking about these wonderful uh, words together. So let me pray again, and it's just as we come to it. Father, we thank you so much for, for, for the wonderful things you've taught us thus far in Philippians, and we pray again, though, that you would please really be at work in our hearts through this time. Please would we see Jesus so clearly, would we see the wonderful example of Paul, and would you empower us to follow it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, the the power of example is huge. Last night I was driving the car and the bus in front of us had their big sign on it on the back saying, watch your speed, your son does. Because of our example, okay, you can tell your child, stick to the speed limit, but if you tell them that and actually you drive with no respect to the speed limit, well, they're going to learn from your example more than from your words. The prior example is big. Just think of the whole host of people nowadays who make their living, and indeed some make a very, very, very good living, as influencers. The power of example. If you follow this diet, if you use this makeup, if you wear these clothes, if you do this workout, if you follow me, well, that's going to make you as happy as me and as successful as me, etc., etc., etc. Think about your job. How did you learn to do your job? I imagine that you learnt a real good chunk from watching somebody do it, learning from their example, or at least elements of it. The power of example is huge. The question, therefore, the logical question, the necessary question, if we believe that, if we understand that, is what example, or what examples are you following? The Apostle Paul knew the importance of example. Do you remember a few verses ago, Paul held up Timothy and Epaphroditus and said, follow them. These are great examples of those who genuinely, cons- uh, genuinely care for the well-being of others. They're examples of those who sacrifice themselves in service to the gospel. He, he held them up as examples and said, follow them. And now today, he holds himself up as an example. He says, follow me. Now, Paul has no Instagram feeds to check out. Paul, we haven't seen his life, as it were. We have to look at the scriptures to see what he looked like and how it is that we can follow him. But very simply, through this morning and through these verses, we just want to see these two things. Think like Paul and then live like Paul. Think like Paul, live like Paul. First up, think like Paul. And have a look down at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul says that us who are mature, us who are growing in our faith, who are loving Jesus and seeking to grow in that love more and more, Think this way. By implication, for us who are mature, and if you want to be mature, think 
this way. And I wonder if you hear those words, think this way, whether there are little bells ringing from a few weeks back when we saw in uh, Philippians 2 verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But, but do you remember that have this mind among yourselves is a bit more active than that. It's think this way among yourselves. Think like Jesus. And now Paul says, think like me. So we had TLJ. We could also say TLP. Think like Paul. Because what happens, uh, so that's verse 15 of our chapter, but in verses 12 to 14, Paul has been explaining how he thinks. And, and having said that, he said, think this way. But how did Paul think? Well, well, often in our English Bibles, the paragraph breaks and the headings can often be very helpful. But sometimes they do actually slightly obscure things. And this divide here is kind of, uh, isn't necessary. Chapter 3 really hangs together as one whole. And so in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul was warning the Philippians, warning us, about those who call themselves Christians who preach Jesus and say, you have to trust in Jesus for your salvation and also be circumcised and also follow certain rituals. He says, watch out for those who say, yes, you need to trust in Jesus, but you also need to do X, Y, Z. And what's going to guard from falling into those traps is to treasure Jesus as we treasure him above everything, well, then we're never going to get swept aside by thinking we need anything other than him. And in fact, Jesus is far greater than anything. So have a look down at verse 8, just by way of reminder. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Jesus is far better than absolutely anything. And in verses 10 and 11, which we didn't really look at um, last week, we see there Paul describing how he wants to know Jesus more. He wants to know Christ more. He wants to know him and the power of his resurrection. He wants to be like him, even suffering like him, so that he, by any means possible he may attain the resurrection of the dead. He'd be, be raised and go and be with Christ face to face. And then, so that, that's what he's just said, I want to know Christ more, I want, I want this, I want to be with him. And then in verse 12 to 14, Paul effectively just says the same thing twice. Okay, he says, he, Paul knew he hadn't reached his goal yet, and therefore he pressed on to that goal because God worked in him. Or was that work in him? Did, let, let me show you those. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. So, so this knowing Christ intimately, this knowing the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, being with him face to face, that I haven't got there yet, I haven't arrived. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. It's the, the language of a, a runner pressing on, striving on, looking to get to the finish line. He's not made it yet. He pursues it. And then why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has seized him, grasped him, gripped him. 
And therefore, Jesus want, uh, Paul wants to seize, grab hold of Christ. And then we see Paul repeating himself, kind of saying almost exactly the same thing. So verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. I've not, I've not got there yet. And this is the one addition, the one development. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Paul for, forgets in a healthy sense of where he's been. He forgets those things that he could kind of turn around and go, wow, yeah, look at all those church plants that I've formed. Wow, see all those amazing converts? And have you read any of my letters? Woo! No, he's, anything that he might turn around and go, oh, yeah, I was pretty good. Now he forgets those things behind him. And he, therefore, he goes on in, in verse, uh, verse um, 13, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize. Again, this is this image of, of running. It's not, oh yeah, like I've done really well to travel three quarters of the way. No, no, no. It's straight striving, pursuing, going after, pressing on to what comes ahead towards the goal. And again, why does he do this? Um, striving for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God has called him in Christ Jesus to know this resurrection of the dead, to know Christ perfectly. He's not made it yet, and so Paul presses on to do so. You see, the gospel, knowing Christ, doesn't allow for a bland, half-hearted drifting. It is possible for us and easy to us to become kind of content, happy where we are in our Christian lives. You know, it seems like I've kind of put that sin to bed for now and, and my quiet times are much more regular and I'm starting to witness a bit more regularly. This is a good place to be. Maybe we need to again hear the call to think like Paul. Press on, strive, pursue like you're running the race, heading towards the finish line. Maybe if you're a little bit older in age, you're getting tired physically, <laughs> tempted to go, okay, I'll drift from here on. Keep, keep the pedal, pe- pedal to the metal. I can never say that right. Keep the pedal to the metal. Keep pressing on. You're young, full of energy. Oh man, even I look back to those days. If, if you're young and full of energy, See Paul's goal. Pursue that goal. Make that your own too. Think like Paul. Think like Paul and don't be content, but rather pursue, press on. First of all, think like Paul. Secondly, live like Paul. See verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, imitate me. Just this week, uh, I was uh, in our living room and I had my hands in my pockets and I was kind of absentmindedly strolling around thinking. I think actually on the sermon. And I looked down to find uh, my three-year-old, hands in pockets, walking around like this. (laughs) Imitating me. That's, That's what children do. And that's what Paul calls us to do, to imitate him. And the reason we do that is, first of all, because Paul is imitating Christ. Paul is imitating Jesus. 
Paul doesn't say that explicitly here, but in 1 Corinthians 11 he does. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And in fact, we have seen from Philippians, hasn't he, the, the way Jesus thinks, that humble sacrifice, and actually we've seen that exemplified by Paul. But notice again that this isn't a, a special request for the Philippians, like just for them as a kind of this special church. It's just a couple of words, but he says, look, join in imitating me. Join in. Look, there, there are others doing so. Uh, we've got lots of people imitating Paul, and he says, look, you, you come and join in with them. But in fact, he goes one step further, doesn't he? Just in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and... Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul is saying, look, join in imitating me. Look, see me, follow me, copy me. But also look around for those who are doing the same, who are, who are living that pattern that I've set. Look, keep your eyes on them and, and follow them too. And here I think is a really important lesson for us is that there are many elements of the Christian faith that are more easily caught than taught. There are many elements of the Christian faith that are more easily caught than taught. See, not all ministry is verbal. Now, we definitely can't take this to the other extreme, okay? It's not less than that. We can't separate that from from verbal teaching, teaching the Bible, because otherwise it's meaningless. But it is, indeed, more than that. Let me give you some examples. Children learn the importance of quiet times far more from seeing their parents go upstairs and shut the door for 15 minutes every morning or bowing their head over the breakfast table, blocking everything out every day. They learn far more from seeing that done than any amount of being told that reading the Bible and praying is important. Again, children learn the importance of engaging at church with what's going on, of, of, um, of, of engaging with praising God in singing and engaging in hearing God's words by seeing parents, parents who aren't on their phones checking the football score or, or, or reading the news, but who are engaging themselves. They, they learn the importance from that. We learn how to trust God through hard times by seeing the example of those around us who in those hard times yet commit to pray and entrust themselves to God. We learn how to die well by seeing our senior saints who are nearer to, quite possibly nearer to death than we are, but seeing them trusting God and looking forward to being with Christ. We learn how to pray by being at the prayer meeting and listening to older, mature Christians praying. We learn how to be quick to apologise and seek forgiveness with the spouse by, by seeing that modelled by other people in the church family. We learn how to disagree with others in church without becoming belligerent and proud and divisive by seeing that done in the example of others. And part of the beauty of examples, of models, is it helps take biblical ideas 
huge calls and, and, sh- and makes them real and, and, in a sense, makes them possible or shows us that they are possible. Two examples. Kind of the call to be, we're passionate for life. We've been thinking a lot about, uh, we have already started thinking about our, our outreach. You know, that call to be a faithful witness at church, uh, at work. Sorry, call to be a faithful witness at work. That's a big challenge. That's a huge call. How, can, how is it we can do it? It kind of can seem almost too big. But actually, and I can think of, of examples in the church family when we see people and we, we chat into people over coffee and you're hearing how somebody's just regularly and faithfully praying for opportunities and appropriately, gently, but constantly looking for opportunities to say something of Christ to their colleagues. And they put on a little Christmas event where they're going to invite their colleagues along to come and hear Christ. And when we see that in examples, it kind of shows us that it's possible, makes it real for us. Or how about the example from last week, and we'll see again a bit next week, from chapter 3, verse 1, when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And in chapter 4, verse 4, when he says, rejoice in the Lord, I'll say it again, rejoice. What a huge call that is. But when we see someone in the church family, and when we see things are going well for them, Work's good, health's good, family's good. And we see them prospering. But yet in those times, they find their true joy, delight and happiness in Christ and not those things. That's a powerful example. And when that same person gets the cancer diagnosis and physically, humanly speaking, everything comes crashing down, and yet they are still rejoicing in the Lord. They're still finding their treasure in him. It's a powerful, powerful example. See, mod- uh, models really help bring biblical ideas into real life. And indeed, they can have a profound effect. I, I still remember now, I- I've I mentioned this guy before, uh, Dr. John and Mary, they were an elderly couple. Dr. John is now with the Lords. An elderly couple when I was at university who used to invite students around for lunch. And they also used to occasionally invite individuals around um, to catch up. And one time I was having a cup of tea and cake with John, um, just chatting about, about life and how things were going. And, um, uh, and one time... Well, so, so I kind of picked my fork and was about, kind of had my, I think I had my fork in the cake. And he said, oh, do you mind, should we just pause and just say grace? And I was like, whoops. You know, put that down, yes, of course. Um, and, we, and we did. And he said the reason was, the reason he did that was he was inspired by the example of uh, an African Christian. I, he, I can't remember whether John went, was over there or whether this guy had come here. But this, this man prayed, uh, said grace every time, even he had a glass of water. Because he recognised so clearly that everything, all of his provision came from God's. And John had learnt from that example. And I've learnt from that, for example, of him. And, and John didn't, I don't think, do everything, but like any food. You know, I was kind of, I was a good Pharisee, so like breakfast, lunch, dinner, I said grace. All right. but, but that example to remember and see, actually, that's a really good thing. That's a profound impact. And my father-in-law was actually at the first service, so I kind of embarrassed him uh, or honoured him in this. But my father-in-law is a Christian, and he truly believes that God is the source of all grace, the source of all life, the source of all peace, the source of joy. And every single time he comes, um, or we go to them, every single time he takes Micah up in his arms and he prays for him. 
And the reason he does that is because he believes those things. But more than that, or on top of that, the reason he does that is because he wants, to know, he wants Micah to know that he believes those things. He wants to, Micah to learn from that example, and I have learned from that example. Brothers and sisters, here Paul's call to follow him, to imitate him, and to find examples of those who are walking in that pattern. Find them, get to know people in the church family. Ask questions of them. How do you help your child stay interested in church? How do you do this? Ask questions. Watch. We're called to live uh, like Paul and to live like those who live like Paul. And then the rest of our verses explain why that is so important. Do you see how verse 18, the, the next verse, it starts with the word for. So follow these examples. For, because, for many of whom I have often told you and now even and tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ Paul is saying the stakes of our christian lives are so high they are too high we can't afford not to take this this warning seriously he says let follow me because there are people who are walking as enemies of the cross that's a really frightening statement of them. There's a lot of debates uh, about who these people are. I personally think that this is probably the same group of people he was talking about in the first half of the chapter. There, there seems to be nothing to indicate it's anyone else. These people are saying, yes, you trust in Christ, but also in X, Y, and Z. Actually, people who say that are enemies of the cross. And do you see, uh, then in verse um, 19, we get four um, characteristics um, of them. First of all, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. I'm not entirely sure what that means. I, I think it's kind of the idea of their God, what they're living for is just kind of earthly things, like earthly pleasures, food and the like. I think that's probably what it means. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. They boast, they, they prize actually what is shameful. And with minds set on earthly things, lowly things, temporary things. And you see that just the contrast in a couple of things. So far, firstly, they walk as enemies of the cross. As opposed to verse 17, those who walk according to the example they have in Paul. You can walk in Paul's steps or you can walk in a way that is an enemy of the cross. Again, we are to think like Paul, have our minds like Paul, rather than having our minds thinking about earthly things. Look, brothers and sisters, if we're not pressing on, if we're not pursuing, striving forward, if we're not following the example of Paul and the examples and, and those who are following Paul themselves, well, then we could get swept off by these people the stakes are really high on the flip side if you do follow Paul's example if we are simply trusting and treasuring Christ alone we'll have a look at verse 20 but our citizenship is in heaven 
And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be made like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject, even to subject all things to himself. The contrast between these two could not be greater. Their minds are set on earthly things. Our citizenship, our home, is in heaven. Their God is no higher than their stomach. We have a saviour who came, lived, died on a cross in the place of his people, rose again in power, is now in heaven, and we wait for him to come back. They glory in their shame and their end is destruction. When Jesus, who we're waiting for, our God, comes back, he is going to transform these lowly bodies into glorious bodies. There is no comparison. And we see why it is so important that we live like Paul. It saves us from futile, lowly lives now and from destruction later. And it gives us a heavenly purpose now and a hope-filled future. The stakes of our Christian lives are so high. Following Paul and following those who are following Paul helps keep us on that right track. And just uh, one of the words, uh, to, to, to kind of look at it slightly from the other angle. You see, as we look at, uh, as we, we, we look for models in the church family and we follow their example, and therefore we become like them, well then, do you notice then we also become examples for others? Primarily, I think this would be for, for your children if you've got um, children. You are then the model for them. But actually for others in the church family too. If, you, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, can I encourage you to be mindful and thoughtful about ways in which you can model these things to others? Again, but sometimes that make, takes a bit of being intentional to do so. Inviting people home for, for lunch. Uh, but not just to kind of come and put on a show, but come and be part of your life. You don't think, right, the house has got to be pristine, the children are going to sit there in silence and obedience and everything. No, come and invite them into real life to see you do normal, real life. Because the power of example is, is powerful. Brothers and sisters, again, who, who are we following? Who are we following? The stakes are high. We follow the example of Paul. We follow those who follow Paul. We think like him, pressing on, pursuing, striving ahead in our Christian lives. And we look for examples to follow, to keep us away and keep us on the right track, away from any of the dangers. Let's pray that we would do so. Father, what a wonderful and great saviour that we have. We wait for him. We wait for him to return and transform. Father, please, uh, would we do so? And please, would we be learning from the example, examples like Paul and others who are in his pattern? Please, Father, would we truly think like him, striving on, pressing on? Would we, we follow his, his pattern of life? In Jesus' name, amen.